Aiden, and you're listening to I Read the News Today. <laughs> we are not journalists, pundits, or Simpsons, but we do read the news. And we're here to talk about the shit that's going on. It is July 14th, 2019. Aiden, tell me the news, please. So we are going to talk about the debt ceiling. Yes, the big news on that is that U.S. Department of Treasury... Yeah, Mnuchin, right? Yeah, Mnuchin. What is his role? He's the head of the department. He's the U.S. Treasury Secretary. Ah, that is the words I was looking for. He's the modern-day Alexander Hamilton. Yes, Stephen Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary, is warning Congress and congressional leaders that the U.S. Treasury is going to run out of cash before the original expected time, which was the end of September. Now, the big issue with that is that both houses of Congress go on a six-week break starting beginning of August, correct? Yes. So that would bring us halfway into September before they get back. And it's very possible that the government will run out of money. And the reason for that is that we also have a debt ceiling that has limited the amount of debt. Yeah. So that's kind of the... The government running out of money is sort of the the big takeaway It's the symptom. Yeah. Yeah. What exactly, how does the debt ceiling work? So the debt ceiling is the limit that the federal government of the United States can uh, borrow, and it's set by Congress. Okay. And so the big issue is that Congress has been going back and forth on a lot of budgetary issues. Mm -hmm. And the Democrats originally had hoped that they would be able to negotiate the debt ceiling as well as new budget spending all together at the end of September. Mm -hmm. And so this is pushing up that timeline because uh, the Treasury does not know if the country will be able to finance itself up until that that is done. What's happened since... Since Mnuchin had talked, we, we looked at a um, Washington Post article called Pelosi says she is seeking to finalize deal to raise debt ceiling and resolve budget impasse for August recess by Erica Werner and Damian Paletta. I think that that title says a lot about what has <laughs> what has changed since then. But what do you see as being the likelihood of that succeeding? So this, I mean, just... <sighs> Like there were there were some there were debt ceiling scares during the Obama administration yeah. as well, and it was always like th there was always a doomsday scenario that was proposed, and then there would always be a last minute deal cut. Yeah. So I mean, until that doesn't happen, that's kind of yeah. what I'm going to assume is going to happen. Now things are very different now in yes. politics than they were, so it wouldn't be too surprising if that if there if this is the, the time that this actually happens. Yeah, and a couple of people in various articles that we read said similar things that, mm -hmm. you know, it always seems to happen. I think that the difference, part of the difference is this time is that their window got drastically cut. Yeah. They thought that they had all the way until the end of September, but now they really just have two weeks to mm -hmm. figure out either a stopgap or a long-term solution. And one of these articles talked about the stopgap being the kind of an unpopular solution. Yeah. I believe that that was, was that the New York Times? Is one? that the Times? 
Yeah, it's the Times because it's Susan Collins, the Republican senator from Maine, uh, who says, quote, the last thing I want to see is either a government shutdown or a one year continuing resolution. Yeah, because that so way- the last thing I want, want that she wants to see is two different things. Well, you make a good point. There's a quote above that that I really like. And yeah. it's, I, quote, I am very concerned that time is running very short. <laughs> it's it's almost a purred happily quote. <laughs> it really is. The I'm, story of the debt ceiling is it's a federal spending limit. Uh, speaking of, of the debt ceiling and the U.S. national debt, I found, I believe I've seen this before, but I found a site called usdebtclock.org, which mm-hmm. tracks in real time the the debt. So this is a .org? This is, an, this is a nonprofit organization? I don't know. If, I, I, I don't know how they would make a profit off of this this page which advertising revenue baby i don't see any advertising well it's it's a dot org so it is a nonprofit. Um, they just want to get the word out they want to get the word out and they have a big red number on the top left corner that says u.s national debt and then says 22 trillion 496 billion 631 million 600 700 000. oh yours gone. yours are different than mine oh no are yours in the sixes now no mine's mine's in the Mine just reached 632 millions. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think they are synced up. Okay. okay. There are also a, a wide variety of other, I personally think, rather interesting items about the U.S. budget. The other really large number that I found interesting was the U.S. gross domestic product, which is about a trillion dollars under the U.S. national debt. So the amount of money made in the U.S. this year could not pay off our debt, which to me is fairly horrifying. It's it's kind of a, a strange existential concept. I mean, this goes back to economics from thousand years ago when when banking started and borrowing started. Mm-hmm. But we do have a, a culture of borrowing in in our economics, and that's been around for a long time. Yeah, but functioning on that big of a deficit to me is is a little frightening. And so other things that I looked at talked a lot about how our deficit over the past year has has increased. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of the articles talk mentioned the tax reform bill as yes. a big reason for that. So Trump's 2017 tax reform bill in in a large part cut taxes but increased spending which I don't think that you need to be an economist to understand. That yeah, that it's, is. it's like if you it's like if you you got a pay cut at work and then, and then bought bought more than more stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, you, you got a pay cut at work and went out and bought three flat screen TVs just just because the largest growth in spending has been military mm-hmm. uh, under under the Trump presidency. The largest tax cuts have been towards corporations and those making over a million dollars a year. So what you're saying is people and people. Yes, uh, Citizens United. And I have a specific article here from Vox, the GOP tax laws lopsided giveaway to corporations explained in one sentence. And that sentence is from 
2017 to 2018, the estimated average corporate tax rate fell from 23.4% to 12.1%, and individual income taxes as a percentage of personal income fell slightly from 9.6% to 9.2%. So overwhelmingly, the rich are making a lot from this tax cut yeah. that the, the number of people in this country who make more than $1 million a year is a very small percentage, but they, they are getting- Is that with that 99%? Well, actually, it's less than 1%. Yeah. Much less because 1% make above 300,000, I believe, which 300,000 is only a third of a million. So I'm sure that there's a less than a third. Means a bit less. That means a bit less. Yeah. <laughs> but- Anyway, it's, you actually can't make a third of a million dollars. Are you talking logistically? You you would have to round at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the big question is, what happens if we don't manage to raise the debt ceiling on time? So that's what I liked about the BBC news article that yeah. we looked at because it it's very upfront about the fact that we don't know. Yeah. That was the th thing during the Obama administration as well. Like we, there was the fiscal cliff that was due to take place um, before New Year one year. Yep. Uh, after New Year one year, and we didn't know exactly what was going to happen yeah. if that occurred. And so this is from BBC News: What happens in a U.S. debt default by Kim Gittleson? It, this does a, a remarkable job of just breaking down what a default looks like. Yeah just logistically. Um, but yeah, as you said, we don't know what would happen. It, it also says what, and, and this is a very interesting point, what bills does the US tre Treasury have coming up? And uh, it said that there are quite a few coming up in the next month, and the biggest ones are due on November 1st. So no matter what, the Congress will be back in session well before November 1st. So that's not as big of a concern in my mind. But but the, the Treasury has to do uh, a, a rollover of its current debt debt holdings, which is about $300 billion in the next month. But that becomes an issue because of interest rates. Yes. So that's the, the United States government's ability to borrow money is historically very strong. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the potential consequences yeah. of the debt limit being reached and the government not being able to pay off its obligations is interest rates going up for the future. So um, normally when you borrow money to pay debt, that's not the end of the world yeah. because the new debt can um, pay for the old debt. But yeah. that becomes harder when your borrowing rate goes up. So, so the, the United States has never defaulted on its debt, technically. There was one time in 1979 where the U.S. Treasury inadvertently defaulted on $122 million because of what it said was a word processing error, which is a, a pretty big error. In there feels like there's something missing from that story. Yeah, it, it does. I would assume that it was... Some some error in trading. It was, but I don't think that they were trading trading anything in uh, digitally at that point. So it was very likely that someone misplaced a 
period or something. Uh, it, it's very likely that a check didn't didn't go through or something like that because of something that was misplaced. But what was found is that even though that was a tiny of a fraction of the $800 billion in debt that the Treasury had at the time, a study has found that the that mini default raised the cost of borrowing by 0.6% or $6 billion a year. And I, I think that that it's believed that that has stacked on on our ability to price our debt ever since. Mm-hmm. So that's a 0.6% increase ever ever since that happened, which is huge. Yeah, I mean it sounds it sounds microscopic, but it is six billion over the course a year. of now forty oh, years. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it, it basically will make it so that we have more difficulty as a country to have bonds out that are very cheap for us to pay off. Yeah. Uh, it, it raises it raises our debt to some degree to default on debt. Yeah. Just by changing what our debt is worth. Mm-hmm. So that is that is a big issue. The other issue is that the White House and others are considering instead of defaulting on debt, to shut down the government in order to give us the ability to pay off debts for a little bit longer until a solution is reached. So that would be very similar to what happened earlier in the year where the government shut down and government employees had to be furloughed and were not able to get checks for quite a while. And mm-hmm. so that was, you know, very also very detrimental to our economy. Um, yeah, I mean, government shutdowns, cost the government money of course it's not that's not a phenomenal solution no yeah they cost the government money and they cost the economy a, a lot yeah um overall so either either option is really quite bad mm-hmm. and so it, we, we can be hopeful that this will be solved rather quickly but so um the initial article that we looked at, I think, was a CNN piece. Yes. And it talked about Stephen Mnuchin, who's the Treasury, Treasury Secretary, being the one who informed Congress that the debt limit might be reached um, more sooner than expected. Yes. Does the fact that it's coming from a member of Trump's cabinet make you think that the administration might be taking it seriously in some way? Oh, that is an interesting and very difficult question yeah. for me. I it, it tells me that someone in the administration is taking it seriously, but I have no real belief that this administration I mean, can, runs can, as a cohesive unit. We can, I think, fair with fairly good certainty assume that Donald Trump does not understand this topic. Yes. So there, there's something to the fact that it is his Treasury Secretary. Yeah. That might make one feel good. It might. I mean, to some degree, it makes me me feel positively about it. But I don't think that Donald Trump has ever listened to Steve Mnuchin on anything, let alone making a a large decision. Steve Mnuchin has made it this far. Yes. Like a lot of. That is a good point. Trump's uh, cabinet. He, he has made it this far, but I think that's partially because he hasn't argued <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so if just cause, just because uh, Steve Mnuchin is 
saying something now does not mean that that is what he will be saying once Donald Trump has has stuck his fingers into it. Do you think that part of the reason he hasn't been fired is due to the fact that his last name at a glance is so difficult to pronounce? It's it's not that diff- difficult to type it into Twitter and say that he, that he's fired. Fair, yeah. <laughs> uh, all, all all Trump would have to do to fire him is copy copy paste it and put it into his Twitter, because <laughs> that seems to be how he does a lot of his stuff anyway. Can he pron- Can he spell Mnuchin? Again, copy paste, copy paste. I can't. So are you? You seem to be. You seem to be making the point that you think that. All of Donald Trump's tweets are in some way sampled from other tweets. That copy and pasting is the sampling of <laughs> tweeting. That is an interesting. I would have. I would have thought the the retweet was the 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 sampling. But well, a retweet is more like it, a retweet is a cover. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, a retweet is a cover. Yeah, and I'd say you were also right that copy pasting would be. Uh, although I, I think memes are really very related to sampling. Memes are instrumentals. No, you've gone too far. Uh, so <laughs> what about, so have you read anything about the 14th amendment argument for the debt ceiling? No, no. Okay. Well, let me hit you with this. So this was a big thing in the Obama era discussions of the debt ceiling, the idea of using the 14th amendment. Um, to essentially bypass the uh, debt ceiling. So who would be using the 14th Amendment? And also, what is the 14th Amendment? The 14th... Which one? (laughs) The 14th Amendment um, is the amendment that guarantees equal protection under the law, um, regardless of uh, race, creed, any of that. Okay. Uh, but there's also a bit um, in the 14th Amendment about the debt. About the nation's debt? The nation's debt. Yeah. So far, I'm reading this, the the, the different sections of the 14th Amendment, and I'm not finding anything that seems like it would talk about debt. So you're going to want to look in section four. Ah, now I got to it yeah. and found the word debt. Shall I read it? Yes. The validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion, shall not be questioned. But neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States or any claim for the loss or emancipation of any slave but all such debts, obligations, and claims shall be held illegal and void. Yes. So there's the argument that that... What? <laughs> there's the argument that that section um, basically makes it so that there is no debt ceiling. Okay. But this is talking very specifically about insurrections or rebellions or... Well, it's it's really, very... it's really not. No? It's, it's saying the validity of the public debt including debts incurred for payments of pensions and bounties for services and suppressing insurrection or rebellion. It I mentions understand. those specifically. Yeah. Because it was right after the Civil War? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the, the 14th Amendment is one of the post-Civil War yes. amendments. It, 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 it mentions those in sp- specifically, but doesn't exclude any other kinds of public debt. Yeah. So this is, I mean, it's a little bit, 
it's it's this is kind of like the conversation that we had about constitutional crises because this is a little bit of a kind of paradox in the government where this question has not been explored at all. Yeah. So this would ultimately, in all likelihood, be litigated by the courts or there would be some kind of compromise found with Congress. Well, my question is, Section 4, what debts would this be talking about that we current that currently would be well, it's, it's all debt. It, that's what it yeah. says. The validity of the public debt shall not be questioned. I mean, the validity of the public. So to, refer, to to make that accurate, the validity of the public debt of the United States dot 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 shall not be questioned. I, I, so I'm trying the, to get the, the thing. The thi- so right the here. thing about the debt ceiling that people that a lot of people don't understand is that the the money authorized, like the money, when, when the debt ceiling is raised, it is raised to account for money that's already been spent. Yes. So the the amendment says. The public debt shall not be quite the money that we've already spent. I see. I understand. Yeah. So, so in other words, having a debt ceiling would therefore be unconstitutional. Well, since since we've already spent spent the money, we we've already incurred the debt mm-hmm. to some degree. Yeah, we just you know it's it's having further borrowing or pay off debt. Yes. Okay. Just a side note, I really like looking at these um, post-Civil War amendments and seeing when they were ratified by the particular states. Yeah. Uh, Kentucky got to this one a little late, (laughs) 1976. Nice. And in fairness to Kentucky, California waited until 1959. So yeah, I mean it's it's the, the Kentucky not ratifying fying it till till the seventies is not quite the uh, Mississippi abolishing slavery in two thousand thirteen. Yeah, but <laughs> um, it's <laughs> still not great. Yeah. So what's the upside? Was that in one of the articles and I just missed it? No. What's the upside? <laughs> <laughs> um. Boy, I'm really at a loss for that one. Well, let's make up an upside. Okay. Um, <laughs> what's the best thing that can happen out of this? I think that the debt ceiling gets raised. But then we have more debt. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's, that is how this has gone. <laughs> yeah. In every discussion of the U.S. debt limit. My hope is that the debt limit gets raised... We also end up taxing millionaires and billionaires more, as well as corporations, and reducing taxes on the the poorer people uh, in the country. Uh, and then also, you know, while we're at it, fix, so, fix social services. I, yeah, I didn't know you were giving me a magical government wand to work with. <laughs> so you think the Republican administration in power... Yeah. Right now is going uh-huh. to raise taxes on the wealthy. Why not? <laughs> you didn't define the terms of this hypothetical very well. Well, you know, uh, I, I didn't give any rules which should have told you that you can do anything you want. <laughs> so that is what is going on with the debt ceiling. And hopefully by the time we record our next episode in two weeks, uh, this will be solved. Otherwise, it's very possible that... Bad things are going to happen. But uh, in the meantime, I guess we'll take a little break here. Thank you for listening to I Read the News Today. Oh, boy. (laughs) 
please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever, whatever um, podcasting um, service you're using to listen to us. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at NewsOBoy. That's N-E-W-S as in sand, O-H, B as in boy, O-Y. <laughs> you can email us at NewsOBoy at gmail.com. Spelled the same way. Spelled the same way. Spelled the same way. S as in silly string. O H B as in Boxing Day. O Y as in Why, dear God, why have you forsaken me? At gmail.com. Um, please send us weird and funny news articles on either Twitter or email. Uh, you will be mentioned in the show. And now back to our regu- regular, <laughs> our regularly scheduled programming. So now we're going to do a weird article. So Aiden, could you uh, read me the headline of this article? Cockatoo filmed tearing down anti-bird spikes at shopping center. The trail of destruction is magnificent, impressed Facebook users, user says. So there is a, a very brief video if you want to just watch it down here. Oh, here we go. So this is a freedom fighter cockatoo. Uh, it, it, it does have the sort of satisfaction of, like, if you've ever seen a video of the, the destruction of the Berlin Wall. Yeah, it pretty much is the same yeah. same kind of feel. Uh, that, that cockatoo, uh, there's a cockatoo ripping out spikes that are meant to keep birds from nesting on this ledge. It's ripping them out. It has gotten all across this ledge and it is just just tearing tearing the glue or whatever is pasting it onto the elmer's the, presumably the elmer's presumably yeah. and just ripping it off and throwing it off the building uh onto the onto the street below which that that is some rebel rebel behavior that that you don't frequently see in well, some birds I mean, animals are extremely adaptive they are but I, I think that really, I, I looked into this. I mean, this. except the dodo, like that thing, <laughs> that was, it died. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It famously could not adapt to humans hunting it. Exactly. Yeah. Famously. In fact, I would I mean, say. It was uniquely suited to be hunted to extinction. How so? Being fat and flightless. Yes. And delicious, reportedly. <laughs> reportedly. Uh, I, I wonder, dodo or chicken? Where where would where would the uh... humans ravenously <laughs> hunted and ate one of them to extinction? Yeah, the other one has been enjoyed by humans for thousands of years. Yeah, and still walks this earth. That is true, but but also I would I... give any amount of money to taste the flesh of a dodo. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh... I did look up a bit more about cockatoos, and apparently they are very intelligent birds. Okay. Um, Do you have any fun facts? No, just that they are very intelligent birds. That's the most fun fact that I have. Do you want me to find one? (laughs) Ooh, I found a fun fact about cockatoos. All right. The principal threats to cockatoos are habitat loss and the wildlife trade. Oh, so they're like every animal. Yes, and that's not fun in any way. But uh, according to Wikipedia, that's a fun fact. Justfunfacts.com. Ooh, here's a good one. There are 21 species of cockatoo in the world. Neat. They inhabit rainforests, 
pine forests, eucalyptic groves, scrublands, and savannas. And, you know, cities where they rip down spikes. Apparently, a Twitter user who saw this, this video and is from the same place said, I have several photos of that specific jerk bird. He is a liar and a thief. I want to I want to say jerk bird is pretty good. Is a pretty choice insult. Yeah. And it's clean like you could use it on the kindergarten playground. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so so below it says cockatoos are known to be extremely social and intelligent. A University of Vienna study suggested the large parrots, oh, they're parrots. Interesting. Have levels of cognitive development to match 4-year-old humans. I don't I Which don't is know roughly about the you. age that it would be socially acceptable for you to call someone a jerk bird. Yeah. I don't know about you though, but um I don't think that I had a, that much of a rebellious streak yet at 4 years old. I mean, if you would if you would the put walls. spikes on somewhere I desperately wanted to sit, I probably would have. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. You're not you're not putting yourself in the situation. You're right. In the same way. So apparently, like, let's say, let's say that they put up like spikes right outside of Hobbit Yard when you were a kid, a place that I don't know if I went, so to that you couldn't park your car in Hobbit Yard. Uh huh. Well, that would have made you really upset. Not really. Can you just do the thing? Not really. Can you just say it? Say what? You know what I want you to say. Park the car in Harvard Yard. He's, the the deliberateness you have to do to. That's a great sentence. <laughs> the, the deliberate way you have to make yourself speak without your natural Boston accent is extraordinary. Park the car in Harvard Yard. I will be fully honest about how delicious I find this water. Gross. <laughs> Why will you not be your authentic self? Because I've never spoken with that accent in my life. It's... Park the car in Harvard Yard. That is the way that I've always said it. You had to practice three times to get to that <laughs> level of natural, like, human speech rather than Bostonian. Human speech. Yes. <laughs> anyway, this article also goes on to say that a number of incidents involving anti-bird spikes have caused anger in the UK in recent years, including a case in 2017 in which wealthy Bristol residents attach spikes to trees to protect their expensive cars from bird droppings. I would like to circle back to, you, you mentioned, what what is adhering the spikes to? Um, I actually looked this up as well. Oh, yeah? There are, you can buy spikes like this off of Amazon or and places like that. To defend your castle? Yeah, pretty much. And it comes with just... Uh, like a typical polyurethane adhesive, like a, a super glue. Okay, so I, it, it's not shocking to me that a bird would have the neck strength yeah. to just tear that out. Yeah, but, you know, I, I think that it, it definitely defied the expectations of uh, the people who designed it and put it there. But but those might those spikes do seem to be metal, so there there is some amount of... There's a bit of weight. Weight to it, yeah. yeah. And, and it does, you, you do see it throw it, it like spins his head and throws it all right are we going to um, mfw yeah i'll figure out some way to end that that segment all right <laughs> 
So this is the uh, the the Waco Waco Padea del Anos. What in the crippling fuck are you trying to do? <laughs> I'm trying to not say this is the wiki of the week because I'm not resigned to that name yet. Okay, great. <laughs> you did it so bad. <laughs> All right, so I didn't put it in the show notes, I realize. Well, that makes it hard for me to get to it. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't look at it. You're looking at it. I can see your little thing. I can see you're looking at the screen. I didn't see anything. Don't look at the screen. Okay. Aren't we doing the segment right now anyway? Are we doing it right now? Yeah. No, we're we got to do it. We got to do it right. All right, and you're good to go. Cool. Ready? Yeah. So, uh, I've seen the, the name on it. All right. So, who do you think... Who? What is the name? The name is Douglas Corrigan. Who was Douglas Corrigan? Well, I feel like I just heard about another Corrigan. I don't know which one you're referring to. Uh, I'm referring to the, the one from that BoJack Horseman quote that we used to warm up. Oh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Corrigan. Yes. Okay. Um... I doubt they're related. I didn't make that connection. I doubt that they're related. Well, where was Kevin Corrigan born? Douglas Corrigan was born in Galveston, Texas. Oh. Kevin Corrigan was born in the Bronx. Oh, okay. So I, I'm guessing that they're not related. But I, we'll find I, out. I doubt it. Douglas Corrigan lived from January 22nd, 1907 to December 9th, 1995. He, <laughs> he was an American aviator born in Galveston, Texas. Oh, did you do read the next sentence? Oh, yes. He was nicknamed Wrong Way in 1938, and this was because of a transcontinental flight from Long Beach, California to New York, New York City. He flew from Floyd Bennett Field in Brooklyn to Ireland, though his flight plan was filed to return to Long Beach. So you do you get what that sentence says? Yeah. So he he went. So east. he did he did a transcontinental flight first. Yes. Where he flew across the United States from yes. California to New York, and then he was scheduled to fly back, back. to California. Yeah. And rather than do that, he flew to Ireland. Was it intentional? And we'll get to that. That's uh, that's a recurring source of debate. Well, he claimed that it was due to a navigational error. I, I would say heavy cloud cover, causing him to that obscures landmarks his... and low light conditions. the The landmarks that you would see flying to California from New York is is land is land. <laughs> and and if you don't see any land, then you're not in if the right it's place. All blue, <laughs> like I I don't know. He was a skilled aircraft mechanic. He. Oh, he, he helped to build the Spirit of St. Louis. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and made several modifications to his own plane, preparing for its transatlantic flight. So he he modified it so that it would be able to do what he did. Yes. So, I don't know. He, he had been denied permission to make a non-step flight from New York to Ireland, and his navigational error was seen as deliberate. So he... W in other words, he wanted to go to Ireland. Okay, so he wasn't just... <laughs> he didn't want to visit Ireland. <laughs> what? It was so that he could 
because very few others had made transatlantic flights. Yeah, he wanted to yeah. do a transatlantic flight. Yeah. He wasn't just trying to visit Ireland. <laughs> well, you know, I hear it's nice. I've never been. Oh, but. man, I got to go to the first U2 concert. <laughs> In 1938, Bono's Angel. <laughs> so um, there's not a whole lot of interesting stuff in early life, but aircraft mechanic... Uh, it reiterates Corrigan was responsible for assembling the wing and installing the fuel tanks of and instrument panel of Charles Lindbergh's Spirit of St. Louis, mm. which was the first plane to make a transatlantic flight. Yep. Yeah, he worked as a airplane mechanic in San Diego. Uh, I highlighted during his short flights, Corrigan performed aerobatic stunts. His favorite maneuver was the Chandel in strings of up to a dozen spiraling from close to the ground. The company that he worked for disapproved and prohibited him from performing stunts in the company aircraft, to which Corrigan flew to a field further south where his stunts could not be seen by his employers. Did you see the uh, New York Post headline? The one that's reversed? Yeah, yeah. They, they did hail wrong way Corrigan, but they they did it mirrored, so just, just as a, a little jab. Yeah. Little gist. His plane that he, when he applied to make the transatlantic flight, his um, plane was deemed to be unsound for a nonstop transatlantic flight. Oh, but he made it. Well, so after after that, he repaired the engine, um, gained an experimental license, and obtained permission for a transcontinental flight uh, with consent for a return trip. He the journey took him twenty seven hours from California to New York. And he almost ran out of fuel at the end because a gasoline leak developed. Oh, yeah. Fueling the, f- filling the cockpit with fumes. Oh, no. Corrigan then decided that repairing the leak would take too long if he was to meet his schedule. So he flew to Ireland without repairing the fuel leak in his plane. Oh, fun. Because he needed to get back to California on July 17th. So he determined that he was going to go to Ireland and still try to get back back on time. Yes. Wow. So to your question earlier, if he did this on purpose or not, um, I think it's kind of clear. So as recorded in Corrigan's autobiography, the manager of Floyd Bennett Field, where he flew from, wished him bon voyage prior to takeoff, perhaps being a nod to the fact that he was flying to Europe. Hmm. It also says that uh, Corrigan claimed to have noticed his error after flying for about 26 hours. This is not entirely consistent with his claim that after 10 hours, he felt his feet go cold and the cockpit floor was awash with gasoline leaking from the unrepaired tank. God, this sounds miserable. (laughs) Why would he want, why would anyone do this intentionally? So he then used a screwdriver to punch a hole through the cockpit floor so that the fuel would drain away on (laughs) the side opposite the (laughs) exhaust pipe, reducing the risk of a mid-air explosion. Oh, God. (laughs) Had so, he been truly unaware he was over ocean, it seems likely he would have descended at this point. Instead, he claimed to have increased the engine speed by almost 20% in the hope of decreasing his flight time. Yeah. His plane had two fuel tanks mounted on the front, which allowed him only to see out of the sides. He had no radio, and his compass was 20 years old. 20 years old? Jeez. Which I don't... Does that... Does the age of a compass decrease its... Effectiveness? I would say it probably does since it is such a small magnetic object. It's very possible that A, you can get it, the whole thing could become 
could become uh, misaligned or things or it might start to catch. I don't know. Or it might be perfectly fine. It's not like it's going to point in the wrong direction. It's just the question is, was was the material demagnetized? Mm-hmm. So in he, he did receive punishment for um, this. Aviation officials took 600 words to list the regulations broken by his flight in a telegram. Does that strike you as unusual in any way? It's because it's it's charged by word. Yeah, yeah. Six hundred words is 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 quite a few tweets. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually I found this by um, he was honored with a ticker tape parade in New York City, um, and I found this on an article about the U.S. Women's National Team's oh, okay. ticker tape parade. Oh, okay. Um, because basically. The the article talks about how basically now it's almost exclusively sports heroes that mm. are honored with parades in Manhattan, but historically it's been various types of people. Yeah, and uh, just just back to telegrams. Anyone who believes that Twitter is destroying our language, that actually is a very good example of how we were already doing similar things. So I highlighted earlier a, this century. I highlighted before. a couple of things in the later life section. Okay, uh, he would go on to endorse um, products using the the bearing the wrong way moniker, uh, including a watch <laughs> that ran backwards. That sounds fun. Um, he so it just ticks counterclockwise. I guess. Yeah. Uh, he would go on to buy and live in an orange grove in Santa Ana, California, knowing nothing about raising oranges and learn by copying his neighbors. And then earlier, um, while I was reading through this page, I giggled like a (laughs) schoolgirl. And it was at the sentence, in 1988, he joined in an anniversary celebration of his flight uh, his plane was reassembled and the engine was run successfully. Corrigan was so excited about the that the organizers placed guards at the plane's wings while he was at the show and considered <laughs> tethering the tail to a police car for, to prevent him from taking off. <laughs> wow. This was in 1988, so he would have been, yeah, 81 years old. Yeah, that was only seven years before he died. Yes. So that is everything that I have about Douglas Corrigan. Cool. So you seem to have a pretty firm opinion on whether or not this was intentional, and I think you and I tend to agree. I don't think that it does not seem at all possible that this was an accident. (laughs) (laughs) If it was an accident, then A, it's the most coincidental accident to ever happen since he had filed for the ability to do a transatlantic flight that day and was rejected the fact that he was so willing for his entire life to pretend that it was an accident never really said that it was was intentional is also just mind-boggling to me because it's a huge achievement and frankly i would i would expect that he would want people to know so that is douglas corrigan cool well that is our episode and with that We shall say goodbye for this week after one last headline. All right. Want to read that headline for me, Aiden? Yes. Two Detroit workers injured by fireworks under toilet seats. (laughs) 
I mean, it's it's appropriate <laughs> given the given the time of year. Yeah, that is that that that, that that's going to be our show then. All right. Thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe, rate, review, do those other things that people do. Tweet at us, send us some articles. And with that, I am Lowell. And I'm Aiden. Have a great couple weeks. Stay classy, San Francisco. Anchorman. <laughs>